Hello, hello! You're listening to WIM, a podcast about women in the music industry. I'm Veronica, and I'll take you through all topics related to women in the music industry, and all that with my guests. At the beginning of each episode, my guests will introduce themselves and tell us how they made it in the music industry. And then we will turn the list and talk all about women in music. The very first guest of WIM is Paula Wolf. In this episode, we'll chat about how she got in the music industry, what she's doing now and her opinions about the current situation and issues which women are facing. And also, we'll find out what a mammal is. So stay tuned and I hope you'll enjoy this episode. So hello, welcome again to my podcast and today I'm here with Paula Wolf. Hello. Hello. Hi. <laughs> so I hope you're right. Can you just briefly introduce yourself? Okay, uh, so my name is Paula Wolf, Dr. Paula Wolf. Um, I do a couple of things. I'm a, an artist, producer, and uh, independent label, but I'm also an academic in that I write and research about what lots of women like me do. So we self-produce, write, do the whole thing. Amazing. You just combine everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sort of write it, record it, produce it, release it, market yeah. it, and then mm-hmm. I research and write it about mm-hmm. it as well. Thank you. Best of all worlds. <laughs> yeah, so did you study music at a university or did you just get in? No, I've, I, I didn't study music at all at university. Um, I, my first degree was English and Spanish. Um, so my background, in fact, is literature. But what I'd, I'd always um, sung from a very, very young child. So I, I'd always been known as a singer. But it was when I was at university that I discovered songwriting because friends of mine played the guitar and I was just mesmerized by it. Um, And that was it. I bought a guitar when I returned from my first semester Mm -hmm. and taught myself how to to play it by writing. And I haven't, so I'm entirely self-taught in everything I do. Wow, that's incredible. (laughs) That's amazing, really, honestly. (laughs) I studied guitar before, but I had a tutor, so that's not so amazing as (laughs) you did it. So is it the way how you get into the music industry, so you start as a singer? Yeah, I mean, similar to what I was saying today, really. I mean, everything everything starts with the song. Now, my particular route, um, when I finished university, um, I, I had a choice of going two ways because I, I used to act as well as sing. So immediately on finishing university, I went to work for a, a musical theatre company in America because um, I was working for my equity card. And when I came back, I was working for my card and back at home in London, and I had two auditions. I had one for an experimental voice theatre company, but I also had an audition for a guitarist in a punk folk band in Manchester. (laughs) And I got offered both jobs and I chose the punk band um, because as much as I enjoyed singing and performing, I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And this was my first entry and they were signed, they were signed by a label in Liverpool. So it was my first professional job. Now, I didn't actually stay with them very long because I clearly did not fit in to this punk folk band at all. Um, And although I ended up uh, working um, with the main songwriter, who who was a fantastic songwriter, more folk than punk, um, and I learned a lot from him, but I only stayed about a year 
and then I just I was just off and I was I just continued uh, building my craft mm -hmm. so I stayed in Manchester because it was easier than uh, and cheaper than London and I just spent a number of years playing on the acoustic circuit that was there and developing my songwriting mm -hmm. and that went on for a very long time and then I in in my late 20s early 30s I developed an academic interest in music production and women in music um, and I did an MA and it was an MA that actually allowed you to design it yourself. So what I did, I set myself the task of teaching myself how to produce. So I, so I set up a little studio in my bedroom in, in my terraced house in Manchester. And I also, for my dissertation, I studied the representation of both major and independent female singer-songwriters and that set the new path of being mm -hmm. both a self-releasing artist producer, but also an academic. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, really, I'm so <laughs> impressed. That's, <laughs> that's amazing, yeah. And even back in the day, did you feel like the music industry was male-dominated? Yeah, I mean, that's, th that's actually part of the reason why I wanted to learn how to self-produce. Because just as a singer-songwriter, um, working with various musicians and in various stu studios, I always felt, um, well, d a number of things. What I would find would often happen is that I would turn up to rehearsals with a song and if I was playing with certain musicians, suddenly they would take the song but change it completely. So I felt as though I lost creative control mm -hmm. And I had no creative control in the studio because um, I recorded in quite a few commercial studios. Even the, but even though um, I didn't know how to work anything, I was fascinated with it. And I learned from that experience and from working in the studios of various friends that actually I had good ears, that even though I didn't know how to work all the knobs as it were, I just knew when things were right. And it was that that made me realize I've just got to find a way of, of doing this myself. Mm -hmm. And at that time, digital technology was just emerging. So I made loads of mistakes, loads and loads of mistakes. But that first EP, just it, it was just thrilling, like I said today, and that hasn't gone away. That hasn't gone away. Yeah. That's exciting. <laughs> And what challenges have you faced as a woman in this industry? So have you experienced any difficulties or like special conditions during the career? I think um, I haven't experienced any, um, I haven't had any direct bad experiences. Mm -hmm. But what I would just say is that because I've been studying it and I've been an observer for a very, very long time, I can see the inequalities that exist. Mm -hmm. And because I'm aware of those inequalities, that's why I've made very, very sure that my corner is as strong as it can be. Mm -hmm. So I think what I've been doing really since I started self-producing is, is protecting myself really. But having said that, you know, the, the musicians, most of which have been male and, um, some engineers that I've worked with have been absolutely delightful. So very often the problems are not on an individual basis, 
because like I say, most of the men that I've worked with are just utterly delightful. The problem tends to be the institution of the industry. And one of the things that I'm very conscious of, actually, because obviously I'm no longer a young artist, and one thing that I am aware of is the is rather than being a woman, age becomes more of a factor, obviously, the older you get. Now, that's the same in all cultural industries. In film uh, what is, is a very fine example. But within the industry, that's very, very notable, even though... There are more of us who clearly are not 25 anymore, but who are still insisting that age should not be a barrier to continue being uh, a producer and an artist. Mm, yeah, I can absolutely understand <laughs> of that, yeah. I should, it should be in that way, yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter the age or yeah, race absolutely. or gender, yeah. Because those a the, the ageism doesn't apply to men. If you just look at all the heritage artists that are out there in their 70s, I don't, I can't remember how old the Rolling Stones are, but uh, even more, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. octogenarians. Um, it, it, it doesn't apply in the same way to men as it does to women. But again, like I said in the lecture, you know, we mustn't forget that um, the music industry is just a microcosm of society. And just as we have sexism or ageism or classism or racism in society, we, of course, are going to have that in the industry as well. Mm-hmm. So what do you think are the current challenges for women in the music industry? So do you think like the childcare, also coming back to work or the pay gap? Well, all of those things have been addressed. Each, I mean, in terms of childcare, there's been a lot of um, discussion and a lot of work done. I mean, there's a, there's a woman called Olga Fitzroy who has been campaigning very, very strongly um, about um, childcare within, within engineering because, um, and within studio work because obviously the nature of studio work means very, very long hours. Um, and there has always been a culture that if you have children, you're basically ousted out. And it's still the case among, although it tends to be amongst um, women working for major labels rather than independent labels, but one of the things that I highlight in the book is that a number of women working as professionals have felt that they have to make the decision between working for a major label or having children. Mm-hmm. They were made to feel that they couldn't have both. But again, that, that, that issue of returning to work after you've had a child That is the case in many industries, not in the music industry. Um, and interestingly, um, of all the um, different kinds of professionals that I studied for the book, it was artist producers who were able to negotiate childcare best because their studios were at home. Mm-hmm. So they could work they could work their creativity around looking after the kids. Mm-hmm. That's one decision, yeah, but yeah. should it be like that, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Do you think that the companies should support it more? Well, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's, I think it's a battle that's been going on for a very, very long time, and there doesn't seem to be any um, indication of it changing anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Everything takes a long time for things to change but but you know what w- one of the one of the really heartening things is that in the last three to five years all of the any issue um, associated with being a woman in the industry 
it's no longer restricted to women's festivals or a handful of feminist popular music scholars or the odd event here and there. It is on the agenda. It is being talked about in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. So hopefully it will be, you know, the, the, the next stage is when it doesn't have to be talked about anymore because things will have changed. So that, that's, that, that's where we're heading now. Yeah. Yeah, according to the Alfred interview, and one woman who's working in the industry was asked, like, yeah, is it still a problem to be a woman in the music industry? And she replied, well, obviously, if you're asking me this question, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you noted those statistics that I showed you at the end from that new report that everybody needs to read called Counting the Industry, um, the statistics are shocking. Because one of, the, one of the tendencies, one of the things that tends to happen is that when you have um, one or a handful of high-profile artists, the media gets onto that and gives the impression that gender isn't an issue anymore, you know, diversity isn't an issue anymore. But that's only the very, very tip of the iceberg. Um, the industry is still male-dominated, and the and this report now gives solid statistics to back that up. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think would motivate women to join the music industry even more? Well, one of the things that's often been cited is role models, um, because in fact, I was talking, I was on a conference panel, and a woman called Jane Dibble, who's um, a, a, a senior figure within the industry, um, who now runs her own festival. She, she made a very valid point where she said that people tend to employ people who look like them. So the people who've been doing the employing for a very long time have been white, middle-aged, middle-class men, mm. or men. <laughs> so therefore, they are more than likely to employ other men. Whereas she was saying that, as a rule, women who are employers will employ from a greater diverse, a, a greater, from greater diversity. So they're more inclined to employ other women or people from, um, um, from the BAME community or from the um, transgendered community, whatever it is, they won't stick mm. to their own. So in answer to your question, it's getting people, women into positions of power so that they can make changes. And do you see uh, the same problem with the cooperation? So meaning women tend to cooperate better with women. So that's why there's not enough women in the music industry because there are so many males who are who tends to work better with males. So it's just males and not so many women because the cooperation problems there. Oh, I see what you mean. Actually, that's something that's brought. Do, do you mean that men work better with other men? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something that's brought up in the report, actually, that that is one of the reasons um, suggested for one of the areas of inequality, that um, the preference of men to work with other men rather than mm -hmm. intersex. Is, is, is that yeah. what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Whereas, I don't, whereas I think women are very open mm -hmm. to work with men mm -hmm. as well as working with, you know, with, with, with their Everyone. own sex, mm -hmm. yeah. Just a few last questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, what changes have you seen in the music industry in regards to women, if you've seen any? Oh, well, without any doubt, there are more. I mean, I've been attending 
Uh, I was saying earlier, I'm, I'm in the uh, in AIM, in the Association of Independent Music, and um, I attended their first Women in Music event back in 2007. And there was probably about 20 of us in the upstairs room of a restaurant in Chiswick. And the CEO of AIM was saying that she wanted to hold this first women, and it wasn't exclusively for women, but it was many women who were there. She said she wanted to hold this event as a yearly event because she wanted to challenge women's low presence, particularly on her board of directors. And I've been going to all the AIM events ever since, and the, the numbers have just swelled incredibly mm -hmm. but the other real thing that I've noticed is that when women do go to music industry events not just the AIM women in music events but they're more confident uh, they won't just sit at the back and not say anything they they are yeah they're more confident they will ask questions they they will challenge things so they're not so afraid to just suffer in silence mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. think which I think women have done for a long time yeah yeah, thank you. And last question. Yeah. Do you think being a woman in the music industry is an advantage? Um, I've never thought about it in those terms, actually. I'm not sure whether it's an advantage or a dis disadvantage because, as I said in the lecture, when it comes to, you know, doing the work, creating, writing, you're not aware of being, you're not aware of your gender, mm -hmm. you're just creating. Um, and I, and I think probably when I'm out and about doing whatever I'm doing, I'm not aware of being a woman, if mm -hmm. you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like I say, it's only when you, when, when you look at the statistics or you look at you know, the conferences and you listen to the things that have been said that you become aware of it. I mean, I'll give you an example, actually. At this conference, that, um, the, the festival, I had a conference day that I was talking at. I was on the gender and diversity panel, but uh, the panel afterwards, or one of the panels afterwards, I stayed to listen to, and it was um, it was an agents panel where the, there were a couple of promoters and agents uh, offering advice to young artists getting into the industry, and the manner a it was an all male panel, and in fact Jane Dibble had a, a really funny expression called a, a manal rather than a panel, a manual. And um, very often it has been the case that most industry conferences don't have panels, they're manuals. Anyway, so this was a manual. Um, and the, the, the ideas and just the, the attitude of the guys who were talking, it was, it was quite overtly masculine. They were, it, they've, they clearly the bands they represented were indie boys, white indie boy bands, and they were cool and they were dudes. And you just thought, not in a million years would you A, consider a female artist, or B, would a female feel uh, comfortable in going up and speaking to you? They just exuded this sense of we're in control, we're guys, we've got it all going. And we represent cool indie bands, so you know, just a, and it's quite rare actually that you, in the circles that I work, that you come across that. But and they were young, as well. So what I was saying to you before about, you know, the hope that when these white middle class uh, men drift away, 
everything is going to be better. I don't know that will. I think mm-hmm. they'll just get replaced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but yeah, thank you anyway. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you so much for You're this welcome. interview My and pleasure. your ideas. Yeah, okay. thank, thank you so you. much. Hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you and goodbye. And that's it for today's episode. In the end, I'd like to say a huge thank you to Paula for saying yes to be part of this podcast. Thank you so much. The next episode will be with Stephanie Newenhouse from BBC Solent, and it's going to be all about radio. So if you like this podcast, please subscribe and start looking forward to the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and took something from this episode. See you next time.